lost, worried and hungry. The people have been let down by their leaders, by a system that has no real interest in their well-being. They're searching for someone, someone to look after them, to make sure they're okay, to show them a new way of living. I'm Stuart and you're very welcome to our time together at St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. Don't forget that you can find out more about St Ninian's at st-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk where you can catch up on all our services as videos and podcasts. Today we continue our journey through Mark's Gospel at Chapter 6 and Blake reads for us. Later, Yvonne will lead us in prayer. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick onto mats wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. There are some weeks when you come to passage like this, it's left scratching your head a bit because at first glance there seems to be very little going on. Especially when we're reading Mark's Gospel, which is almost frantic in its pace of storytelling. It moves along at a breathtaking rate of knots, and all of a sudden, we seem to have a bit of a pause. There are other weeks when there's so much going on that you hardly know where to start, and there are some weeks when it's hard to tell the difference. We've obviously missed a big chunk in this reading. We jumped from verse 34 to 53, and the bit we miss is pretty important. It's the feeding of the 5,000, and we'll come back to that in the next few weeks. But it's important to know that this is the bit in the middle because the rest doesn't make a whole lot of sense without it. And it all relates very much to what we talked about last week. Herod had thrown a great feast for the most important people in his grand palace. The commanders and officials and the wealthy were all there and everybody was having a great time until Herod made a rash promise to Salome and ended up having to bring her the head of John the Baptist on a plate. All this happened while Jesus' disciples were out on mission for the first time. Today we read that the disciples have returned and are full of stories about what they did, where they went and what they said and the amazing things that had happened. That's exciting. Remember, they were sent out to do things they couldn't imagine, to heal the sick, to drive out demons, to tell people the good news about Jesus. You can just imagine them as they come home and start to talk about what had happened all bubbling with enthusiasm and energy. It was just like Jesus said it would be. His promise to them that they would be able to do the things that he did was true. What's perhaps just as interesting 
is that Jesus' response to their return is to try to find a place for them to rest. He recognises that new things take effort, and although the disciples are full of energy, he recognises what we might call an adrenaline crash is just around the corner. It's that moment when all the energy just goes off like someone has switched a switch, when all their resources have been used up. I love watching the Tour de France. The effort it takes to ride a bike up mountains for three weeks is just amazing. But one of the key aspects of getting a rider through the Tour is recovery. It's not something we think about much. We think about training and fuel as the two most important things. They need to train hard and eat the right things because they use a phenomenal amount of calories in a day. If you ever watched a mountain stage, you can see when someone rounds out of gas. Mostly, they just go very pale and then stop. Done. They've run out of fuel. It turns out, though, that the most important part of keeping a rider going is actually recovery. Sleep and rest. Because when you exercise, your muscles start to break down. And as you rest, your body repairs itself. And if you don't rest, you don't repair. You don't recover and eventually that takes its toll. We can only keep going for so long. Eventually we have to stop and rest. Sometimes it's not until we do stop that we realise just how tired we are. We've all gone on holiday and spent the first few days with a cold or feeling miserable. That happens because we're tired. And when we stop, our bodies just don't have the resources to keep up. I think we all know how that feels. Over the past year, we've all experienced that tiredness to some degree. It's usually in the middle of something like that, when we're stuck in a cycle of busyness, that someone will come along with helpful advice. You should take some time off. You should have a rest. And that can be really hard, though. There are times when we all feel like the last thing we need is a rest. And I wonder if that's how the disciples felt. A rest? Really? Now? This is brilliant. I don't want this to stop. I don't want it to end. But Jesus knows the need for Sabbath, for time out, for time away from the clamour and the demands, time to relax, to rest and to recover. So they go in a boat to the solitary place, but the people see them and they follow. It's a result of their success. Demand has increased. If you go around the countryside healing people and telling them there's a better way to live their lives and it's all down to Jesus, then it probably shouldn't be that much of a surprise that people want to see Jesus for themselves. Mark tells us the people were like sheep without a shepherd. That's one of those loaded terms. It describes the people, they're lost, not really knowing where to go or what to do, but they're also afraid because they have nobody to protect them. But it's also a dig at Herod. The king of Israel was called a shepherd. It goes back to the likes of David, the shepherd boy who became the greatest king of all, the chief shepherd. Now the kings look after only themselves. They don't care about the people. The story about Herod's party shows exactly that. Herod is a vicious fool, interested in little beyond his own power and wealth. While he feasts, the people he's supposed to look after are left hungry. I think it's not hard to draw comparisons with people's experience today where we hear stories of overblown government contracts going to cronies while all around us people are reliant on food banks and where footballers have to campaign to make sure that children are fed during the school holidays, where our government is cut aid to the world's poorest people in the middle of a pandemic. Life for people is precarious 
If the harvest fails, they starve. And it was the same for people in Jesus' time. One of the things the shepherd does is find food for the sheep. He leads them from one piece of grazing to the next. He finds them water and shelter. He keeps them safe from wild animals and goes looking for them when they wander off. And now the people think they've found their good shepherd. The one who will feed them and protect them. The one who will save them. And they follow him into the wilderness. The wilderness. The quiet and lonely place. Again, loaded with meaning. It's a place where Jesus' ministry began and it's also where the story of Israel began too as they fled from slavery in Egypt into the wilderness. It was there in that empty place that the people came to know God. It was there that they were given the law that would be the foundation of their way of life. And it was there that they learned to rely completely on God who gave them daily bread. In the same way, Jesus will feed the people. We'll hear more about that part of the story soon, but we need to remember something hugely important about the end of the feeding of the 5,000 story. There was loads of food left over. Today, we jump to what happens next, as Jesus and his disciples travel to the other side of the lake, to the Gentile side, where the people also know about Jesus. They've heard all about him, and they flock to him to be healed. This is new. The shepherd has compassion for his flock, but it seems as though he may have more than one flock, or that everybody's included in the flock. Jesus' kingdom knows no boundaries. It's not like Herod's domain where he has to guard the borders because he's afraid of his neighbours and rivals. Jesus' kingdom has no limits. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, there's a second story where Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and that takes place on this side of the lake, on the Gentile side where everyone is fed. No wonder people flock to see the shepherd. Perhaps, perhaps we should all spend a bit more time with him too. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want he down to lie in pastures green he leadeth me the quiet waters by the 
of love. Thank you for the vast universe you have created for us to enjoy. Thank you for the mixture of beauty and fragility that makes up the world we know. You are present in all of it and experience the joy and pain that ebbs and flows throughout the universe. Lord, we are grateful for all that brings us joy and laughter, for friends and family for homes and financial security, for health care and education, for peace and a stable government. But Lord, we are all too well aware that many other people are not so fortunate, and so we bring our prayers for them before you today. We pray for those people who have no roof over their heads, who do not have a table, let alone food, to put on it. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those people whose lives are affected by walls that keep them out and are barriers to their daily living. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those people whose doorways do not protect them from intruders looking to steal from them or harm them. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those people who look out of their windows but refuse to see the pain and suffering right before their eyes. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you live everywhere and in everyone. Do not let us forget to seek you in our neighbour, to follow in the way of Jesus by feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, taking care of the poor, the bereaved and the sick, making sure that all people have a place to live where they feel safe and a place where they belong. Lord, make your home in our hearts and help us to share your love with everyone. And so we pray together the words your Son Jesus Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. God listens to us. God knows our needs. And when we listen to God, we discover God's ways. 
and God travels with us today and every day. So we go with God's blessing, God the creator, God the source and God the spirit with us this day and always. Yeah.